0: Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So years ago, Uh, There was a book come out by this author that I thought he had done some pretty, just great work for the Lord. And when this new book he he put out came out, it just caused a massive uproar in the Christian subculture, especially this one particular group were just bashing this book, bashing the author, talking about he's finally went over the line. He is now a full blown heretic. And I said, well, I got to be prepared. I need to read the book because isn't that what you do when you find out how different someone is, or when they believe something different than you, or how bad someone's ideas are? I mean, don't you actually read the thoughts they put down for you? Funny story is all their complaining drove it to a national bestseller, so they've learned from that mistake. Like we're not going to do that anymore. So I did, I read the book and what I found and what I was so astonished by is how much they misrepresented what the author was saying and what he was talking about. And I was so naive. I was new to the Christian like um, subculture, to be honest with you. And I just thought like, I thought we were all on the same team. Like, and, and it caught me off guard. I was like, well, man, that's not, that's not what this guy's saying at all. For instance, one thing he was questioning was the literal existence of hell. And it got this group all fired up and they were saying so many different things. And I sat there when I was reading it, reading the comments about the book, I said, well, well, folks in seminary, we have classes about this. In seminary, we have to read books called The Four Views on Hell. Like people questioning the literal existence of hell and what it actually is, isn't like this new idea. It's something that all people who pursue theological education have to to work through. So I was thinking, why is this group acting like we don't all, or like all pastors don't think through that? This is a very common thing. Why are they acting like this guy's out of left field, and this isn't kind of a normal theological issue? And so they started me on this journey, because what I found is that the people who were getting bent out of shape had never actually what? Read the book! They never actually interacted with the author. They were listening to somebody who read a portion of something that somebody else said. And by the time it got over here and they started blogging or writing about it, it was so far misrepresented. I said, well, well, why aren't they just reading it for themselves? And so this started me on this journey of thinking for myself and what this is, and you can do it too, it's not very hard. It's being intentional Being intentional about reading people who you probably disagree with. And what I found as a Christian trying to read other Christians, it's this amazing thing. I found out we have far more in common than we disagree about. And reading people from other dominations and other faiths and, um, excuse me, in our faith group, like reading their theological thoughts about things that disagree with it just has developed me so much more. And I found like you can learn from people. Check this out. You can learn from people you disagree with. Did you know that? I don't feel like Christians know that. You can learn from people who, who don't have a Baptist name. You can learn from other denominations. And what I learned is it drove me deeper into my biblical studies. It drove me deeper into learning God's word. In other words, rather than just calling someone an idiot, I took the time to read them. Because calling somebody an idiot that has a PhD is probably not accurate. It's probably something else going on. So I took the time to read and generally find out, I find out these are well-meaning Christians who just have biblical, um, different biblical convictions, but they are trying to stay true. I may not agree with them, but you can see that in their writing. And I found so many great scholars to learn from so many um, great people you can just digest who, who don't have like your same denominational title and stuff like that. Like there's a whole Christian community out there, folks, to learn from and, and work through. And on my journey, I'm getting to where I'm going. Don't worry, here I am. On my journey, I read through these different people and I found out something intriguing. I found out that these giants of the faith, These top scholars of our day, and for the past couple hundred years, I mean, the top people in biblical research, pre-searching, these people who've led millions of others in the faith, they had this one common thread, and it just kept coming up over and over again. They love or loved the Psalms. They loved the book of Psalms. They were shaped by the Psalms. They delight in the Psalms. And most of them wrote their own book about the Psalms or devotionals or commentaries on the Psalms. And I was telling one of my friends, he's way more skeptical than me. I was telling my friends about this this week. And I said, look, man, all these authors, I started listening off these people he knew. I said, man, all of these guys wrote books on the Psalms. He said, yeah, cashing in on their fame, are they? I said, that's how you take that? I said, you're skeptical, buddy. I said, that's how you take that? He said, well, wouldn't you? He said, if you had a big name like that, wouldn't you write a devotional book for other people? And I told him, this is exactly what I said. I said, well, I'm afraid the reason why I don't have a name like theirs is because I don't take the Psalms as serious as they do. Like, because they were just shaped by the Psalms. And so here's some quotes for you. We're going to go over them. Look at this. This is from Charles Spurgeon. He was a megachurch pastor before there was a term called megachurch. Did you know who Charles Spurgeon is? You should know who he is. He's a pretty, he's a pretty big preacher. It says, The delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit. What does that mean? Boundless? I wish i talked talk like this. <laughs> boundless profit. An ever-growing pleasure. Common gratitude constrains me to communicate to others a portion of the benefit this is the introduction to his book. He writes about the Psalm 6 books, actually, with the prayer that it might entice, induce them to search for themselves. So Charles Spurgeon was shaped by him. Here's C.S. Lewis, Anglican philosopher. He says, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God, which made David dance. Isn't that pretty cool? I know you can quote him. It's right there. Look, look what Billy Graham says. I know y'all know who Billy Graham Who knows who Billy Graham is? Look, we know who this guy is. Good. He says, I used to read the Psalms, every, excuse me, five Psalms every day. That teaches me how to get along with God. Then I read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and that teaches me how to get along with my fellow man. I said, boy, that's some good advice. Good advice. We're not done yet. Let's move on to the next person. This is John Calvin. You can look him up if you don't know who he is. It says, There is no other book in which there is to be found more express and magnificent commendations. Commendations. Look, I, this is super wordy, okay, but it's super good, so let's start over. It says, There is no other book in which there is to be found more expresses express and magnificent commendations, both of the unparalleled liberty, Yep, liberality of God towards his church and of his works. There is no other book in which there is a record so many, of so many deliverances, nor one which the evidences and experiences of the follow, fatherly providence and the s- solace. I'm telling you, I should have someone else read that. Alan, come up and read this for me, okay? This is super wordy. Okay, God, excess, um, God exercises towards... And celebrates with such splendor of dictation, and yet with the strictest adherence to the truth. In short, I should have started here, huh? Like I just, I'm just catching this. I should have started here. In short, there is no other book in which we are more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God. Or in which we are more powerfully stirred up the performance of this religious exercise. There's no other book, Calvin says. Look what Martin Luther says, not as wordy. Next quote. He says, it could well be entitled a little Bible, since everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended and compacted into a manual. It seems to me as if the Holy Ghost had been pleased to take on himself the trouble of putting together a short Bible. Next slide. Touching the whole of Christianity in order that they who are unable to read the whole Bible may nevertheless find almost the whole sum of of comprehended in one little book, the Psalter, which is the very paragon of books. Tim Keller says this. Tim Keller made a resolution. He's a a popular pastor today. He made a resolution that he would read through the Psalms, all 150 chapters each month. He made that resolution over 20 years ago, still doing it. He says this. He said, for 3,000 years, the Psalter has been the prayer book and song book of God's people. This is the great part. It was also the prayer book and song book of God's son. Our Savior quoted from the Psalms more than any other biblical book, even while breathing his last. Michael Byrd, popular New Testament scholar today, he says this, he says, as one reads through the New Testament, it becomes quite clear that the authors detected in the Psalms various patterns and images which remind them of Jesus, specifically who he was and what he achieved in his death, resurrection, and exaltation. It is hardly surprising then that the three Old Testament texts most often quoted in the New Testament are the Psalms. To be precise, he says, Psalms 2, 110, and 118 provide the scriptural foundation for the early Christian preaching about Jesus. He says, I challenge my students that if they want to preach like the apostles, then they should immerse themselves in the imagery, language, stories, and hopes of the Psalter. Last but not least, N.T. Wright the most prominent New Testament scholar of, of the day. He says, the Psalms were the hymn books that Jesus and his first followers would have known by heart. That alone should challenge us, shouldn't it? This is what Jesus read, folks. This, this, this is what he studied. Said Jesus and his contemporaries would have known the Psalms inside and out. Paul would have prayed and sung them from his earliest years. Next slide. He says, what Jesus believed and understood about his own identity and vocation and what Paul came to believe and understand about Jesus' unique achievements, they believed and understood within a psalm-shaped world. That same shape, shaping, remarkably, is open to us today. You see, the psalms, I know there's a lot of quotes. I'm trying to talk you into something here. You see, the Psalms radically shape these people and so many more because that is the point of the Psalms. The point of the Psalms is to transform our worldview. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to praise, how to confess, how to build an authentic and honest relationship with God. Wilson states, it's the last big quote I have for you today. Never mind, I'll read it to you. Here it goes. He says, The power of the Psalms is not that they present us with a neat, theological, consistent package we can assent to or reject intellectually. Instead, they confront us with the messiness and the conflict of life of faith lived out in the real world of body, mind, and spirit. In doing so, they allow God's word to penetrate deeply into dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow laying bare our inward contradictions, and yet at the same time encouraging us to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, folks, the Psalms are messy just like our lives are messy. They're not trying to figure out who's right and wrong. They're coming out, pouring out to the Lord what's going on in their lives. And so the goal for this series is very simple, to introduce you to the Psalms and hopefully encourage you to use them as a part of your daily time with the Lord. In fact, maybe many of you have seen, if you open up your worship guide, inside your worship guide, there is a summer reading journey I want to invite you on with me. During the next seven, eight weeks, I think it's eight weeks, we're going to read through all of Psalms together and all of Proverbs together. This is going to be our summer reading plan. For those of you who like to go away for like a month at a time, you go on vacations, you complain about you have to go to your beach house. Nobody feels bad for you. I'm just letting you know up front, nobody feels bad. But when you go and you do all that stuff, you can still read with us. You can be on the same page with us, and over the summer, we're going to go on a journey studying and devoting ourselves to reading God's Word, in fact, going through corporately the Psalms, so all of us can engage and learn and have a better biblical worldview. So no matter where you go, we're doing this together. And so as we get started on the journey, the psalmist invites us invites us into how to do this journey he invites us and what we can expect and it's almost as if right at the beginning psalms one that's what we're going to go over he tells us up front the decision we need to make hey we got it the decision we need to make before we dive into this you see psalms one is the gatekeeper for the rest of the psalms it tells us what we can expect and what's going to happen. And this is a psalm of wisdom, right? There's a bunch of different types. We'll talk talk about them as the, the weeks go on. But Psalms 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's a proverbial lesson concerned for godly living. What we're going to do this morning, if you have your Bible, you can read it from there. If not, we're going to go up here. We're going to read all six verses up front. Then we're going to dive into it. Sound good? Well, good. We're doing it anyways. Verse 1 says, Nope, yep. Verse 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with the sinners, or join in with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Verse 3 says, They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Destruction should not be there. Verse 4. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. Verse 6. It says, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to." destruction. So as with most wisdom literature, this psalm sets up a sharp contrast between two different lifestyles, two ways of living, and lets us in, lets us know the secret right up front. Here are the consequences. Here's what's going to happen if you go down these paths. And it starts off, folks, this is so important. It starts off pronouncing a blessing. It's kind of like, you know, those really big signs that says like blessed is this home. You can put like by your front door. They got them at Sam's or like 80 foot tall or something. I don't know. You just put it in front of your door, you walk in and it says blessed. Like that's what's hanging over top of the Psalms is this word blessed. It starts off blessed, blessed. Here's what it says. Psalms 1-1. Next slide. NASB, which is a literal translation. If you don't understand the different Bibles that we use, you should go to Growth Track 201. We talk all about that. I invite you to join us. But a more literal translation is blessed is the person. Like this is how you are blessed. In fact, this word blessed here can also be translated for us as happy. Let's have a raise hand. Who wants to be happy? The rest of y'all line. Everybody wants to be happy. We are pleasure seekers. We are happiness seekers. Every single one of us wants to be happy. And this is the introduction of songs. Happy is the one. Like, you want to be happy? Of course you do. Here's what it looks like. Here's the gatekeeper. Here's how it works. Happiness is when we receive God's blessing in our lives, and it's a heightened state. Like, this is, folks, the word for happy. So happy is the person Well, first let's understand, did you know that happiness is actual possible? Like it is possible to be happy in this life, but happiness comes from the Lord. And what's amazing about this is not only is happiness possible, the Lord wants you to be happy or he wouldn't have this sign, this introduction like blessed is the one, happy is the one. He wouldn't tell us how to obtain it. Like the path of happiness wouldn't be listed here if he didn't want you to be happy happy. You see, happiness is a free gift from God, which means that happiness cannot be outside of God's will. Like all that other stuff you're chasing won't bring it. It won't work. It doesn't work. Happiness comes from God. One commentator writes, he said, while happiness is a free gift of God, it must be promoted by two kinds of activities. This is what the rest of the Psalms about. The dissociation from the wicked and the association with God. And that's the point. Look at what verse 1 says. Those of you going off to college, pay attention. Your dad wants you to hear this, wants you to see this. This is Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. Yeah. Psalms one, one Oh the joys of those who do not, right? To be happy, those of you who are blessed, those of you who want to be happy, like you're going to experience it when you do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners. Or join in with the mockers. And here is why you and I do not live in a perpetual state of happiness. Because according to the psalmist, those who are happy never get involved in evil. And since we lived in a fallen and broken world, and we are fallen and broken creatures, we can't do this perfectly. And while it's quite normal in poetry in the Psalms to see this parallelism, parallelism is where they say the same thing basically twice, just a little nuance difference to kind of drive home the point. Here it seems like there is a progression of sin. You go from following the advice of the wicked. How many of you have ever done that? How many of y'all watch TV? Boom, follow the advice of the wicked. There it is. You're like, Brian, that's not, then what is it? Are they saved, born-again believers? I mean, what, is, what, is, what does this look like? Are they Bible authors? I mean, we all, like, listen to the advice of wicked, if we were honest, don't we? And here lies our problem. Herein lies our problem. Or stand around with mockers. So you just, first you, like, listen to what they say, and then you're standing around. That's like when you're hanging out at the water cooler, like, kind of finding out what they're doing that evening, finding out if they really invite you to the party because you kind of feel left out. You've been there. And then what do you do? You join with them and a mocker is far worse. This isn't just a sinner. A mocker is like talking bad about God, making fun of you for being a Christian, like the ones who are anti-Christians, not like just not Christians, right? Anti-Christians. You ever met those? Yeah. Make fun of you for trying to live out biblical things. Yeah. This is what that looks like, folks. And what he's telling us is sin isn't neutral. Like, this is the path we all take. This is the path you're going to take. You start listening. Then you start hanging around. The next thing you know, you're joining in. Like, that's the path. He says, stay away from this. If you want to be happy, don't do this. Like, stay away from them. Go the other direction. And he says, but verse 2, but if you want to be happy, they delight in the law from the Lord. Meditating on it day and night. Those who are blessed, those who are happy, delight in God's word. They delight in the revelation from God teaching us how to live. They choose to be influenced by God and his direction for this life rather than being influenced by someone else rather than those who oppose God on how to live this life. And listen, if you didn't know this, I'm glad you're here this morning. Did you know that God is for you? Like, God loves you. God is for you. And the reason why we can delight in the Lord is because we have a God who chooses to reveal himself to us. He doesn't make you second guess. He doesn't make you wander around trying to figure out how to please God. Go do ring dances and all that stuff. Like, we don't have to do any of that. Because we have a God who's revealed his will to us, who's revealed himself to us. And so we have a God who wants to protect us from evil. So he says, hey, don't do it. We're like, yeah, but God, you don't know how fun it is. He's like, yeah, but you don't know what's coming. We're like, yeah, I do. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm, but you don't. Right? Isn't that what happens? He says, so stay away from that. He wants us to actually be happy in this life. You see, the whole narrative of scripture is rather amazing. It teaches us that like sin and evil is a very real thing. And it wants to enslave us and we are enslaved to it. But the happy ones, the ones who like enjoy life and figure this out, this doesn't happen right away. We're like not hanging out with your friends when they go out and do that stuff. Like that isn't easy at first, but it protects you protects you from things you have no idea that could be coming. So happier than ones who meditate and think about like what God wants for your life. Meditation day and night, you're like, Brian, so am I just supposed to sit in my room and just read the Bible? Yep, that's it. That's all you're supposed to do. No TV, nothing. No. Meditating on God's word is that you're actively trying to seek it out. Like, are you actively trying to go have fun? Are you actively trying to now, let get in trouble, but some of you are, right? What are you actively seeking out? Are you actually thinking about looking at how can I please God? How can I glorify God in this relationship? How can I glorify God this weekend? Hey, how many of y'all asked that when you were 20? Right? How can I actually bring God glory in what I do? Not, hey, what can I get away with? Hey, you think I'm going to get caught? Hey, where aren't the cops most likely gonna come for us to go hang out this weekend? That's what I was doing, I don't know what y'all were doing. Right, it's like actively, like how can I bring God glory so the ones who actively meditate, like think through, like here's what God says to do, so I'm gonna do it. In other words, the Bible says to forgive, here I go. You're like, yeah, but, right. The Bible says this person's offended me, this person's bothered me, so it's my duty to do what? If you didn't know, it's my duty to go to them, right? They're not supposed to guess. The Bible says to submit. You're like, all right, here I go. And so when we meditate on God's word, the idea is that day and night, even at night, even at 10 o'clock at night, we're thinking about how do I follow God? How can I bring him glory? Glory. Rather than fantasizing and rationalizing the sin that continues to tempt and entice us and call us to it, we're saying, no, 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 I'm going to live out God's word. He says, here's what's going to happen. Verse 3, if you do that, here's what's going to happen. He says, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. That should not be there. If you knew your Bible, you would have caught that, okay? But that should not be there. But they prosper in all they do. Listen, those who meditate on God's words are like evergreens planted along the river, never decaying, never turning brown, never dying, fully alive. Listen, through all seasons... Through all seasons of life, they're still flourishing. They're still producing fruit because they're drawing strength from the proper source. They're drawing stre- um, strength from the river banks of God. They're drinking from his fountain because all of us need a power source. We aren't self-sustaining creatures. We don't have own power within us. We all need to gain it from something. And we are called to drink from the Lord's word. Because like trees, you and I, we are called to produce fruit. We are called to bear fruit in this world. Like we are called to, to give back, to give to other people. We are called to be producers for the kingdom, not just consumers. And how we do that is getting the strength from God's word. And we will be able to withstand all seasons. And notice he says that the prosperity comes in what? In some things? And all that they do, like meditating on God's word, will bring prosperity in that relationship, will bring prosperity in that career, in marriage, family, all that you do. Like you will bear proper fruit if you're meditating and drawing from God as a source of your strength. Now mind you, a tree planted by the river, they're going to go through droughts. It's going to go through snowstorms going to go through extreme heat because folks life brings change doesn't it seasons change the world changes natural disasters happen chaos is a real thing but he says you can withstand each season like you're going to produce no matter what happens in this life if you were drinking from the fountain of God's word like God wants to sustain you did you know that Like sometimes we just need to be completely and utterly broken because we're like a tree planted by ourselves, right? We just want to do everything on our own, but it won't work. So God tells us to draw from him, get our strength from him. He will sustain us. Did you know God's the only stability you're going to have in this world? Did you know everything else is going to change? Like everything? God is the only thing that says, Uh, tells us in his word, he will never change. Like he's the only stability we have. And this is a promise of the scriptures. We can count on it. We can cash it in. Look at verse four. He says, but not the what? And here's where we are. Here's where many of us are choosing to live. And we wonder why we're not happy. We'll wonder why we're not blessed. We're wondering why there's so much death and decay and our relationships weren't working out and our friendships aren't working out and we're just tired and we're depressed and we're just lonely. We're like, I can't figure it out. He's like, hey, well, here's why. Like, you're living a wicked life. You're choosing to do these things apart from God. Like it told us thousands of years ago, it's not gonna work out. It's not gonna bring you the happiness that you want. It says, but not the wicked, they're like worst, worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. In other words, those who reject God, reject God's word, he says, are worthless. A chaff is a husk of dried grain or dried seed. They're worthless, they're pointless, they're thrown away or burnt up. They're just blown away. He says, so it is with those who reject God's word. They will live empty and worthless lives. Like, Brian, that's harsh. It's not harsh. They're telling you in advance. That's called a what? Man, you guys are so smart. Like, you weren't supposed to catch that. Yeah, it's a warning. Like, this has been around well before we were around. It's not being harsh. It's like, hey, danger. Here's what's coming. If you choose to ignore, here's what's going to happen. Like, the choice is yours. Verse 6, it says, the Lord, next slide, it says, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. And the warning is quite clear. We have a choice. Association with God brings a fruitful life. One word. look at this, God is watching over us. We're on this path, he's watching over, he's protecting, he's guiding, because we're on the path, listen, where we are joining him and what he's doing in this world. Some of us have the wrong idea of God. We invite God to do what we want to do. But no, 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 God is doing things in this world, and we are invited to join him on what he is doing. We are going down the path that he's already on, saying, come on. He's ahead of us saying, let's go, let's do this. And if we're on the path, he's watching over us. He's protecting us, guiding us, allowing us to feed off of him and get our source of strength from him. And the result, the result of those who delight and meditate on God's word is to be happy. It's to experience the bliss that comes from knowing God. And so we're taught right at the beginning. There are two paths we could take. That all of us have a choice, and there's two paths we can choose. We can choose to follow God and experience a blessed, happy life through Jesus Christ, a fruitful life, or we can choose a path of rejecting Him. You see, like the Psalms, Jesus gives us the same options, doesn't He? Jesus says there are two gates, or there are two roads, or He says there are two trees, two types of fruit, two houses, and two foundations. The scripture is very clear there's two ways to live. You have to choose. And when we resolve to follow Jesus, we are on this path of discipleship, growing to become more and more like him. You see, all of us are on a path. Andy Stanley says it best. I absolutely love his quote. He says, direction, not intention. There's a book called Principle of the Path. Everybody should read it. We gave it to all graduating seniors. Parents, tell your kids to pull it out and read it, okay? It's an amazing book. Talks all about this. But it says, direction, not intention, leads to destination direction not intention leads to destination the idea is quite simple all of us are on a path we all have to make choices where we want to go and i can't tell you how many times i've heard and perhaps you've heard it as well from someone who blew up their life they say things like well i never meant to but but you did well i didn't know i would end up here but you did and a quick survey of their decisions show they ended up exactly where they were headed, like they were making intentional choices. They were headed down. They were directing their lives towards this path. And when they ended there, they were like, "Well, I didn't know it was coming." I was like, "Well, I didn't know it was coming." All of your decisions you've made led you here. Like this didn't come out of nowhere. You chose not to save, or you chose to say that about your boss. You chose to post that online, or you chose to go to that place. Like. Like, how did you not know it was going to happen? Nobody intends, folks, to blow up their marriage or to get fired at work or not to have enough money or not be around their kids when they're older. But are we making the choices or are we just intending and in making other choices? See, all of our decisions actually show us which path we're on. And so you are, are you on a path of a healthy marriage? Are you on a path of having a great relationship with your kids when they're older? I don't know if I am. I'll tell you in 10 years. We'll, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Do you spend within your means or above your means? You're like, well, Brian. No, no like, what do you think is going to happen eventually? It's just common wisdom. Do you show up every day at your job and do your best? So direction and tension leads to destination. And the same is true in your relationship with God, which is what we're talking about. Are you... Or the direction you're heading, is it to be closer with God? Are you building that relationship with him? Are you praying? Are you reading your scriptures? Are you going to things? Are you making church and worship a priority in your life? Are you getting together with other believers and and asking questions and learning about discipleship and trying to grow? Are you serving? Like, what path are you headed on? He tells us to be intentional about the company and the friends that we keep, the psalmist does. And the good thing is, is what we learn from Jesus is the psalmist isn't telling us to go live in a monastery, right? Not to be around evil people, to get away from the world, but rather look at what it says again in verse one. It says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with the mockers. You're like, well, Brian, does that mean I can't be around anybody? No, no, no. It doesn't say you can't give them advice, does it? tells you not to follow their advice. But can you give the wicked advice? Sure can. Can you invite the sinners to come join with you and stand around with you? Sure can. Can you ask them to join with you in your path of righteousness? Be like, hey, look, I know what you're going out to do Saturday night. Like, look, I don't think you should do that. Hey, let's go do this instead. Like, you have a choice. Because of Jesus Christ, we see that, that as Christians, we are called to be the influencers not the ones who are just being influenced by everybody else. Like we are being led and directed by God. And once you've settled that, you can then lead and direct other people. So we are called to be in this world, but we are called to be influenced calling other people to join us in this life. Join us with God. Doesn't mean you can't know or hang around people. It means you don't join in with that stuff they're doing. You see, when we are being led by God, we don't feel the need to be led and influenced by others. And I wish peer pressure was just a thing that teenagers fake, but come on, folks. Adults feel it too, don't you? You feel that peer pressure like everybody else does. But as Christians, we are called to make and mature disciples. We are called to reach the last, the least, and the lost. We are called to in, be influenced by God in order to influence and direct other people. And so rather than allowing them to lead us towards their path, we invite them to join in, in what God is doing in this world. And so let me ask you this, according to the Psalms, excuse me, according to the Psalmist, which path are you on? That's not fun, is it? Like, not which path do you think you're on, not which path would your friends or your family say you're on, but according to like this kind of stuff right here, what path are you choosing for yourselves? Do you follow the advice of the wicked? Like, who speaks into your life? Are you allowing God's word to direct your life? Are you allowing social media or the latest BuzzFeed article telling you the 10 greatest ways to be happy? Like, what's telling you and directing you in this life? Do you stand around with sinners? Like, who do you hang out with? Who do you try to be seen by? Who do you want to make sure that knows and notices you and and, and gets your attention? Like, who are you trying to be with? Or do you join in with the mockers? You're like, I don't join in anybody like that. Listen, what about what you look at online? You joining in with what they're doing there? You're like, but that's not, yes, it is, same thing. Or are you joining in in what they do? Are you joining in to make that, that, that website possible because of the number of clips and the advertisement, all that stuff, how that works? Like, are you joining in with those opposed from God by what you look at on TV? By those chat rooms, by those series, you're like, I know I shouldn't be watching this. Well, then don't what? Like, if you know you shouldn't do it. If your kid came up to you and said, I knew I shouldn't have did it, but. You'd be like, well, you just condemned yourself now, didn't you? Or are you drinking from the fountain of God's word? Do you let it direct in God your life? Do you delight in him? The psalmist invites us to choose. Which is why we're going through the study. We choose which one we're going to do. And lastly, and in closing, the truth is the problem is none of us are going to do this perfectly, folks. We can't. This is why we're in a perpetual. This is why we aren't in a perpetual state of happiness. It's not possible in this world. However, Psalms one points us to the one who did do it perfectly. Jesus is the only one who did this. He's the only one who's able to perfectly keep God's way in a world plagued by sin. Jesus is the only one who pulled off Psalms 1. But the amazing thing is Jesus then invites us, you and me, to join him in what he's doing in this world. And he tells us he will cover us with his righteousness. And he invites you and invites me to share in that relationship with him. He invites us how to learn, hap, uh, live happy. And look at what he says here, John four fourteen. He says, but those who, I, who drink the water I give, here it is, but those who drink the water I give, Psalms 1, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So Jesus invites you. He says, come have some faith. Come join me. Come drink and feed off of me. Will you pray with me?